Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Yes, well, we are live from uh, the Audubon Street studios of WNPR in New Haven, where there's a lot of people on the streets. I assume they're all playing Pokemon Go. They're actually, I'm not making it up, though. It's just as I was coming in here today, there seem to be a lot of people wandering around, at least this part of New Haven. And they look like they don't belong here, so maybe they are all playing Pokemon Go. We're going to find out. Uh, we, we may not find out that, but we're going to find out many things uh, from our panelists here on the nose today. Let me tell you who they are. Lucy Gelman is a reporter for the New Haven Independent uh, and station manager at WNHH. She's making her nose debut today. We're very excited. Mark Oppenheimer uh, is a veteran of the nose, and he's more importantly editor-at-large for Tablet Magazine and host of his own podcast, his terrific podcast, on which I have been lucky enough to appear, Unorthodox. And he also is like the business, busiest guy in American journalism uh, and and the most productive guy in American journalism. Mercy Quay uh, is uh, one of our stalwarts here in New Haven. Now she's director of communication uh, for New Haven Public Schools. A little bit later in the show, uh, we will talk about uh, the, the story of Corey Menefee, uh, who smashed uh, a stained glass window at Calhoun College. Um, we'll also talk, I think kind of relatedly, about a very short essay by a guy named Vincent Cunningham, a new, fairly new writer for The New Yorker, uh, about the, the collapse of our common American language for talking about things that are very important and about which we disagree. But uh, for starters, we will talk about the craze that has existed for, I believe, exactly one week and is already in the process of ruining America. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, – or, or and that's too judgmental. I don't want to say that. I, I want the panel to, to decide about this. But, Lucy, it was kind of interesting as we started uh, emailing back and forth. And I think it says something about the acceleration of modern life that you were saying, well, I don't know. Is this like – has the sell-by date of this particular story already passed? I think the game was – last Friday, but you sort of had a point, right? I mean, yeah. when the New York Times has it on page one, you know that you're now on the trailing edge of, as opposed to the leading edge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I So I, I want to say two things about Pokemon Go. I, I think I have a lot of friends who have been playing it, not just in New Haven, but all around the country where they've spread out uh, from sort of high school and college friends. And, uh, and 
they've all said the same thing, which is that there's a great nostalgia um, kind of linked with playing Pokemon Go. And Colin, you've said before, we love something when it's dead or when it's almost dead. And so I think <laughs> there's there's something of that there. Um, so their, their nostalgia is for Pokemon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The co- I, which was a card game? Uh, a card first. game, TV show, yeah. <laughs> Showing my age here. I remember what it was, and one of them was named Pikachu. Right. Yeah. And they're also real, and they're in zoos, too. Let's be clear. Anyway, yeah, right. right. Like jackalopes. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I, I mean, I think augmented reality is, is really, really an interesting thing. And with Pokemon Go, in theory, I was really excited about this thing that got people out of their comfort zones, not just out of their houses and apartments, but, you know, if we're talking about New Haven, it's still an extremely segregated city and very much a tale of two cities. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, if this is the push that's going to get Yale kids walking into Dixwell and into Fairhaven and seeing how great these neighborhoods are, or if this is the thing that's going to get people onto the New Haven green, and then they can look up and look around them and, and see the civic space that's really exciting in reality i ran into a lot of people so probably now about eight people i've run into uh, or or some of them have literally run into me uh, while i've been reporting on the beat downtown in new haven and um and it's great that they're downtown except all of them are looking at their phones and they have no idea what's around them i had two people uh say to me last sunday when i was at a protest um, we're looking for the center church on the green, and I thought this is great because it's a beautiful old church. And they said, "Oh no, we're going because we want to catch some uh, some Pokemon." So um, I'm I'm not crazy about it. I think it was WNPR's Tucker Ives who first said Pokemon No, or that was the first uh, <laughs> the first iteration that I saw, and I've I've got to agree with him there. It was a Beach Boys song too, I think. But um, uh, yeah. So um, first of all, maybe we we need to explain. So Mercy, you're fresh off the Pokemon fields, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you actually walked up here. Uh, from another part of town, just Pokemon going uh, all the way. She Pokemon went. She Pokemon went. (laughs) Uh, And so, first of all, for people who have no idea what we're talking about, people like Avi who can barely remember the first (laughs) This involves a smartphone, right? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Explain what it is you, you were doing. Okay, so I um, this was even though that you know even though I'm familiar with Pokemon and even though I watched the TV show, played the video um, the video game and collected the cards, I want to say you know hundreds and hundreds of Pokemon cards um, that I eventually had to get rid of because of you know church and other things that got in the way, school, you know things that actually maybe might have considered me, you know, a Pokemon addict, right? Because I could no longer operate in life. Um, Even though I had been familiar with this in the 90s and the early 2000s, today was the first time that I downloaded it. And I uh, walked from Meadow Street all the way down here just to see what, you know, the hoopla was about. And I want to say that is dangerous, and I do not. <laughs> Pokemon going and uh, walking, I, I don't endorse that. I think that— You're saying basically one open manhole cover, and you wouldn't be on this show. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm surprised I can't, I got here. Um, I walked with. Uh, I walked here with someone who was sort of watching out for my best interests. But, I mean, I cannot—I <laughs> can't um, thank him enough for alerting me to branches that I was almost going to walk into or the fact that the light had turned green, right? 
I, there were times where I just was not, there was a Pokemon across the street and I had to get across the street and, you know, I had only opened, <laughs> because there's, it, it alerts you there to. There will be Pokemon deaths, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's, 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 no, I'm serious. No, actually, people are oh, going to, yeah. Already, actually. There's been a Pokemon Go death? Well, I mean, not a death, but injuries, right? So, uh, two men. Maiming? Two, uh, yeah. two men fell off Maiming. a cliff. Where was this? This was in California. Right. Yeah. Two men fell off a cliff earlier today and, I mean, I don't know if you can count this as a Pokemon death, but, um. A woman in Wyoming stumbled upon a dead body while mm. she was Pokemon going. If so it's a verb now. This is, <laughs> to be clear, I did download it this morning. Shall, shall I explain what this is for the people who have no idea? I thought you or just you did just, that. My bad. No, no, no. You, she, she did not just do that. She's too deep in the culture. She's, it's true. Look at her. What are you, 25 years old? Yeah. God. Did I, younger, older? We played I, this game last time she was here. Yeah. Um, this is my favorite game. How old are you? 25. Oh, I nailed yeah. it. You did. Okay, there. I'm there good, at good. That. All right, so good. But, she, but she is, go, she's drunk deep from the Pokemon she's, chalice. She, she was like actually raised by Pokemon. I right. mean, that's her generation, <laughs> right? So this is intuitive to her. But so you take your smartphone. It accesses your camera. You hold the phone in front of you, and it actually takes pictures of the street scene in front of you. So you look in the camera, but it's as if you're looking at the street scene. Mm-hmm. So it's it's as if they're glasses that you're looking through. And right? No, no. And then there's little Poke people <laughs> who appear in it, so that it's yeah, right. Did you Lucy's download in, the right app? <laughs> Did I download the right app? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, right, Colin? I, I don't know. I was you haven't played I, it I, anyway. <laughs> so my understanding when I downloaded Pokemon Go, somebody call in was and that, say who's right. Was it that augmented reality is you're looking at actual reality because your 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 phone is taking a picture of the actual stuff in front of you, but then they put stuff in it. So right. there's little Pokey people, little cartoon characters appear sure. in your site, so you can actually walk down the, the the street, the sidewalk, and it's the real sidewalk of West Rock Avenue in my case, but with Pokey people in it. That's incredible. What did you think you were doing? No, no, Lizzie? no, no. <laughs> My app, um, it, it was all VR, right? There was nothing that you know y- you could. You there was no mistaking that you were in a video game, and everything was. So you didn't enable the camera. Oh, is that if what you it enable is? the camera? I was it's looking down pictures. the whole time, right? If and you, every time, and you know, as you're looking down, oh, you, if I'm passing through, you something, you really took your life in your hands because yes, you're actually <laughs> in the video. But you were in Pac- your your screen looked like Pac Man, and exactly. my screen. If you enable the camera, it takes pictures of the oh, real street in front of you. Well, so I think that's more dangerous. It's, well, unclear. Anyway, here's what I want to say. I was bored with this after about 12 seconds, mm-hmm. and and I I that's. No disrespect to the the, the pokey pe- pokey players and the pokey goers, yeah. but I do think this is one of those things. And I should say I'm not I'm not a pop culture snob. I I watch the trashiest TV in the world, but I'm not a video game person. And when I see those statistics, it's something like 57 percent of adult males play four hours of video games a week. I don't know one of them. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that there's all kinds of segregation in our society. And I don't mean to I don't mean to trivialize the important kinds like <laughs> economic, <laughs> racial, etc., which I report on at a very. But seriously, like something like grown adults who sit around playing video games that's a whole segment i don't even know those people well the reason why you don't know any of them is because uh, pokemon and video gaming in general that culture that's an incredibly introverted culture you're probably not leaving your house so they don't know anyone else right okay um (laughs) that's my take (laughs) on. so this this. is getting them out of the house out of the house not necessarily you know becoming extroverted right not being social (laughs) but definitely out the house lucy has something to say do you have some important piece no you don't have no yeah not do not have an important piece i was talking to jonathan not lucy lucy definitely has an important piece of no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count on that. Um, but uh, but Mark, what I thought was so interesting about this was that Pokemon Go, in a way that I don't think video games specifically do, not only gets people out of the house, but it almost eclipsed Twitter in its popularity. Well, it did. Um, it did eclipse Tinder. 
Which means people want this more than they want fast sex or right. yeah. dates yeah. or love. Right. Well, you can't get genital awards from Pokemon. Um, so they're right That's away. That's what you They'll solve that. Yeah, yeah. The VR people will figure out a way. <laughs> So, so you're saying that's an upside anyway, if in fact people could somehow or other do it in a way that made them able to engage with other people. Well, one thing you were saying or somebody was saying is, is if, if you walk past something, it will tell you that you're walking past. Like, yeah, yeah, it sends out sort of auras or beams letting you know that you are walking past something, right? Am I not doing yeah, that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it does the same thing with um, Pokemon. The way that you know a Pokemon is near you besides actually seeing it there is that suddenly there's an aura coming off of you and off of it. And if you bounce auras, then you can connect. But you can't actually get there unless you actually get there and crossing the street and jumping hurdles and dodging cars. It's, I mean, it'll it'll tell you that, you know, um, Historic Autobahn Arts District is on the left, right? Or uh, uh, something, a clock or, or something or another, it told me I was passing. And I don't know what this clock is, but I'm happy it's there now because if I wanted to pay attention to the world around me, I know that that clock there is that, there. There was that story about the people at the United States Holocaust Museum asking Pokemon Go. Yeah. Right. creators yeah. to like stop sending people into our lobby <laughs> <laughs> or the black lives matter uh protest from last friday a right. lot of people who showed up showed up looking for pokemon <laughs> right that's what first of all i want to th- throw myself on you should pardon the phrase the mercy uh, of all of you and like one thing i hate i hate being the host who didn't play the game uh and it's <laughs> usually not who i am i really am usually the guy who but just today it's who you are well today that's who i am and i think it's because I so mean, it's an app download it for your phone yeah i will i mean i feel bad about it. i think for the last 24 hours i have done nothing but deal with really angry anti-circumcision uh, people <laughs> who have worn me down to the point where i'm incapable of extracting joy from life <laughs> so there was just no, i couldn't do it so I, just, I couldn't learn a new thing they 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 just yeah i just you know i i was spiritually circumcised by them so i just didn't have any energy to do anything like this so i feel really bad about it but Colin, I, you're jewish now we're, yes. this, we're this close to converting you if we spiritually i was already been, circumcised. I, well, you've had, you've had the now was it ceremonial blood or was this like a real <laughs> no actually they just drained everything out of me but i i do want to say that i found out about pokemon go kind of simultaneously with that there was a game that people couldn't stop playing mm. in the context of finding out that people couldn't stop playing it in the Holocaust Museum, you know? And so that's sort of how I learned about Pokemon Go. And so I have a natural prejudice now against it, which is sure. like I, 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 like the fact that we would have to tell anybody that, you know, it just seems like right away we've identified a problem here. You know, I mean, it may I, be I a wonderful I should say game. I'm not precious about these things. I, mean, I, I don't see that sort of anything is off limits. You know, as, as you know, well, I'm not the token Jew in the room because we have Lucy here. <laughs> but I will say, like, it's not, you know, I mean, museums and protests and whatever, like, they are not – they are permeable to mass culture. Sure. And I don't – I'm not offended by that. It's more just that, like, if I were organizing a protest or trying to run a museum, I would just be exceedingly annoyed by all of these people who are showing up with no interest in what's actually going on. Well, I see the good here, right? I mean – if if Nintendo or if, if Pokemon were interested in you know developing new Pokemon, right? I see, <laughs> I see you know the benefit here, right? If we could contact Nintendo and say, can you place a Pokemon stop here at this protest and make a whatever Pokemon that you know engages people in the protest and maybe for a second while you're there it's not, <laughs> it's not but you know you know, one can dream and maybe I, they could make a hana aren't pokemon who can walk you through the holocaust <laughs> museum too but it seems kind of unlikely it, it does we could swarm trump rallies with pokemon go players and it would just all be or you know polling 
or pull it back. <laughs> pull it back. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is something actually, Mercy. That is, you know, as funny as it is, I've totally fantasized about this. Like Ben Ben Berkowitz had a great yeah. piece in Medium about, you know, what if Pokemon Go could join up with something like C Click Fix in New Haven mm-hmm. and elsewhere. So citizen journalism and reporting civic issues in real time. Mm-hmm. So what if someone playing Pokemon Go? Uh, found a Pikachu that was close to a pothole cover, for instance. But also, what if we put more Pokemon by our voter registration areas and our polling places? And, um, you know, that's like... I, I think that would be very exciting. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the C-Click Fix uh, partnership is a bit scary for me as someone mm. who just came off of a Pokemon Go high. The idea. Could you like fall into the, right. into the problem? Right. <laughs> well, I think also, I mean, I, I will now fully identify myself as the cranky old man in this conversation. But it's, you know, I mean, Martin Luther King didn't say, well, if we could just get Huckleberry Hound and the Flintstones involved, you know, we could really get the civil rights movement off the ground. Like how much, how much does reality need to be sweetened you know, why can't people just do C-Click Fix with, well, without, you know... Because the revolution won't be televised. It'll be tweeted, right? And maybe next it'll be Pokemon Goad or Went or I don't so know. So you're what saying, Mercy, we've just become a deeply is. unserious people. Yes. That basically nothing is ever going to be that serious. Like, nothing will have well, I think the gravity and the somberness again because you 25-year-olds are going to make us play it on video games. This is exactly why I don't tell anyone my age. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I sort of, like, I bet I do understand the Holocaust Museum thing, which is that mom and dad are there with the kids. The kids are obstreperous and rambunctious, and they think, oh, well, if they're playing this game, then they won't bother us, and we can walk through this museum, right? I mean, it's just, we found yet another... I actually didn't follow that story all the way out. We're, we're little pokey people, like, popping up in the exhibits. That's not like, how it next... works. Pokey people? <laughs> <laughs> like, how bad was it? Was it, like, next to that... I think I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the Holocaust Museum is a gym, as they <laughs> call it. I would hope it's not. Is it a gym? It I is, hope it's, not. It's a gym, and it is I'm, a gym? I'm using. I shouldn't be That's using these marks quotes, because yeah. they they don't, don't mean anything you. for for our listeners. As is uh, the Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, so the or there really? was a piece that earlier this week, and so they got into like a poke war, if that's a thing, um, with someone on Twitter. I and, believe it's battle. Yeah. Okay. Book of battle. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you're a Pokemon translator. Like, so, the Westboro Baptist Church, which is like uh, the seat of re- religious intolerance, right? It's like they. They hold up the signs that say God hates. Yes. Right? They've carried this, this out group. to a. Expletives, group. Yes. yes. Um, so, they, do they have people running around? Like, I don't know, gay people running around looking for Pokemon figures on their no, property? No, no, they, they said something about how Pokemon Go, like uh, most of, you know, the general evils in America, is just leading to the, the complete sin and downfall of our society. Um, they for once might be right, but anyway, continue. <laughs> no, 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 that's all I have to say. But but then I know that there were some, like, Twitter wars over it. Uh, so it's uh, – this definitely is something – I mean, Colin, getting back to that email chain where you said, mm. well, is this old news or is this not old news? Um, this this definitely is something that has permeated, uh, if not every aspect, a lot of aspects are, of our society. And institutions, Mark, you're absolutely right, are not uh, not outside but I of that. Be, I want to be clear about something here. Like, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but it actually doesn't take that many people to overwhelm the number of American Twitter users. Mm-hmm. Like, Twitter is a very niche product. Mm-hmm. Twitter is like one fraction as big as Facebook, which is genuinely pervasive. Like, old people on Facebook, young people across. Twitter is actually not like that. And Pokemon Go, I would hazard, is not yet like that either. It's that media people who read about this stuff and young people interested in video games, like there are a few groups who are reading about nothing else for the past week. 
But I wouldn't be shocked if my parents, who are very educated people and very with it, haven't the faintest idea what this is. I think I have neighbors on my street in my who are in my age group who are much too busy taking care of like children and dogs and you know mowing the lawn to know. And I was I was going to make that argument. To Lucy, and then right away, the New York Times did a page one story about this. Tom Ashbrook devoted an entire hour yeah. to Pokemon Go, and I thought, all right, but so. that might be the hour I turn off of Tom Ashbrook. I mean, the, right. the paper is a sports section every day that I successfully ignore every day. <laughs> so, oh yeah, and actually, Mercy, when Mercy and I first met, we had this conversation too, which is that something can be sort of very top of mind and very top of mind for everybody you know, right. but everybody you know is a very unreliable metric. Right. You know, everybody you know just means that Absolutely. you share you share taste with a whole bunch of people, uh, and, and it really hasn't. It doesn't have the kind of prevalence that, that it seems to. Well, it might be time to take a break, unless anybody has one more. I, I heard an intake of air. That was me. Uh, we're good. You, was you, you were about to exhale one <laughs> last good. thought about I Pokemon. just wanted to um, officially endorse uh, Pokemon as <laughs> um, the millennial in the group. Yeah? Uh, yeah? No? I'm, You're a millennial? I'm also a okay, great. millennial. I'm, I'm typically the only millennial here, so. It's, a, it's okay, because I'm like the um, the moody octogenarian. The yeah. I'm, I'm like the crotchety old person oh, okay. in the group. All right. Too. So as the official millennial in the group, I <laughs> officially endorse Pokemon Go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as a nostalgic uh, sense of entertainment. I'm trying to imagine what a crotchety old millennial is like. It's well, like you got one. you got Lucy yeah, Nelman. Like you're like right. angry because yeah. you've never met a bank teller or something. <laughs> um, all right. We have to take a little break. We'll come back after this. Oh, welcome back. Uh, we're here in New Haven, uh, where there, there, I mean, there really are a lot of people. Did you notice this coming in that there were like people walking all over Temple Street? Yeah. Yeah. Are they here for some reason? Do you know? Well, I, I think there's something uh, in the Audubon Arts District at uh, at either Coffee or the Neighborhood Music School. Okay, it wasn't at Coffee because I was just there. Um, all right, so maybe it's here. Might even be in the people school. live Who here, knows? Colin. You know, it could, I, I it could be well, citizens. But, I, but I, I'm here regularly, ambulating now. around their town. It's a Pokemon gym. There's like six downtown. <laughs> so well, we're talking to Lucy Gelman. She's a reporter at, uh, for the New Haven Independent and the station manager at WNHH. I bet at WNHH when you're sitting in the studio like this, there's a visible clock somewhere, right? You can see. Clock? Uh, clock? Usually, I'm looking at my phone. <laughs> yeah. Actually, and and there's no glass, yeah. so it's it's actually it's we have weird no clock to have. in the studio. There's no clock anywhere. There's no clock visible to the public. That could be a fundraising thing. The only studio in America that doesn't have not have a visible clock. I w- will bring you a clock, right. Colin. Uh, and Mark Oppenheimer is editor at large for Tablet Magazine, a host of the podcast Unorthodox, which is loads yep. of fun. I've been the token gentile on that show. Uh, and Mercy Quay is director of communications for New Haven Public Schools. So I don't know. I, I sent this article around to everybody, and I couldn't quite tell whether any of you was really interested in it or not. <laughs> so, but just pretend you're interested in it now. And Oppie and, and I, I think some of you had some things to say. So uh, this is a piece by a guy I'd never heard of before. He's a, like a new writer at the New Yorker, Vincent Vincent Cunningham. Uh, he started and, this year, yeah. Yeah, and he's really. This is really a great piece. He's he's sort of talking about just. He was talking about Dallas and the speeches that were given by President uh, Obama uh, and and a little bit uh, I think by President Bush. I can't remember whether he mentions Bush or not. Uh, but he says 
He's talking about how we talk about our troubles. He says, the old common American language has all but evaporated, perhaps permanently. He says, consider the responses to the mass shooting at Pulse, a gay nightclub in Orlando, in June. Within hours, talk around the tragedy had descended into a bizarre Linnaean exercise. Was this, a homoph- was this homophobia or radical Islamic terror, an occasion to decry open borders or derail once again against, uh, against irresponsible gun laws? Uh, and he goes some interesting places with it. Uh, maybe I can take us uh, there and back as we go along here. But um, uh, first of all, I I think that he makes some interesting points, Abby, and one of them, let's be the two crotchety, we'll do, we'll be... uh, Glad to be promoted. We'll be be Waldorf and Statler together. Um, (laughs) They have no idea who that is. um, (laughs) Do you have any idea who Waldorf and Statler are? Yep, exactly. So uh, (laughs) just Google Muppet Show, Waldorf and Statler. So one of the claims that he makes, and this is a claim you'll see elsewhere, is that um, people no longer get biblical allusions, right? Right. So that, you know, going back to uh, certainly Lincoln uh, before, but really people will start with Lincoln, and They'll pull us up through the present and say all the great speeches, the speeches that people talk about are are politicians or preachers or activists of all different kinds. But one thing they'll have in common, whether it's King or Kennedy or going back to Lincoln or, you know, more recently, is they will pull something from the Bible and um, sometimes also from Shakespeare. But there's a lot, it's always biblical stuff. And he points out that Obama still does that, that Obama, that's that's his style and that's his speechwriter's style. Um, but that actually nobody gets these references anymore and they don't mean anything to anyone. This is a very, very old complaint. It's, it, it is true that when Lincoln was alive, people got these references very, very quickly and they meant something to them. They kind of resonated in some deep way. It, it was, it's been less true with every passing year since. So it's a kind of false nostalgia for a time when everyone was biblically literate or literate in some sort of canon. I do think that one thing that's different from when you and I were young, Colin, to today is that back then when you had three channels or maybe 20 channels, but most of them were bad cable channels, you know, something happened. There was no internet. You waited for the speech. You tuned, if you were watching CBS or NBC or ABC round the clock because something big, some tragedy had happened, a Kennedy assassination, then at some point in the next two or three days, the dignitaries got together and gave their speeches. And then those were the common texts. Everyone in America can gather around a TV or radio and had those speeches in mind. And today, of course, like that's just not true. And I actually was saying to someone recently, I have not watched a full speech in 10 years, mm-hmm. partly because they're so bad and they're mm-hmm. all so market tested in some crappy way sure. so that they're all boring. The State of the Union addresses stretch on forever. But I literally don't listen to speeches and I love speeches. Mm-hmm. So I think that we've just lost that, the fact that we're all tuning into the same events. That's my theory on it. I mean, we live in a world where everything you say has to be caught in 140 characters, right? So we don't live – we live in an eclipse world, not speeches. Everything – our intention span is down to what did – I mean, I think the the metric is however long it takes to watch TV between commercials, right? If that's our attention span, then it's going to be very difficult to capture someone's attention for long enough to get a lot of, you know, biblical text out, right? Um, I mean, I think Mike is a good example of this or BuzzFeed videos or, um, you know, any of the, you know, tiny clip video uh, production companies that have come out in the last few years. They have 30 second clips and that's it. And you get everything that you need, whether that's, you know, a thought provoking uh, piece of content, right? Or if that is emotional or if that's supposed to make you upset, whatever that is, it happens in 30 seconds and then you move on to the next thing. 
So I have several thoughts about this, Lucy. One of them is, you know, there's when we talk about speeches, sometimes we even use the word music. You know, where's mm-hmm. the music in that speech? And and we have this idea anyway that leaders will do that sometimes. They'll they'll find a music uh, for us. I think it's increasingly it happens more in the world of fiction. Abby says he hasn't listened to an entire presidential speech in a long time. I bet he's listened to Bill Pullman give the one in Independence Day, right? You know, <laughs> where where in fact you know and like people know parts of that speech, right? right? And they he sort of misquotes. or the monologue in Gone Girl about right. the cool girls, <laughs> right. you mm-hmm. know, yeah. Yeah. He, and, yeah. and, and Pullman, he kind of misquotes Dylan Thomas, but he right. gets him in there a little bit. And, and you know, and, and we know that Aaron Sorkin can write really great speeches for presidents who don't exist. But I think increasingly what politicians and, and Donald Trump is the epitome of this is to do the opposite, right, is to find the one bass note that you could just play over and over again. I mean, Donald Trump talks to people for all of his talk about I, I know the best words and I have the best words. He talks and uses very, very few words and no music whatsoever because he knows that's how most people talk and think, which I found disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and uh, if I mean, if we're talking about Trump, he's often, you know, incoherent a lot of the time. Um, I I actually wanted to bring this up uh, with I, I guess with with you and Mark, but also with Mercy, um, because I thought one thing that Cunningham uh, didn't directly address in the article, or maybe could have gone into, is there's something very interesting happening around the way young people are trying to shape conversations mm-hmm. right now. And I think in in New Haven, we've had a couple protests in in the past few weeks, including one that was at Varick Memorial Church on Dixwell avenue last sunday um and and there were there there was this uh this discussion of biblical references of course because you're at a place where those biblical references are supposed to be understood but mercy i'm I'm curious when you're thinking about language both uh well also how i guess how did you feel about this piece no go on (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's um, some hand but, signals going back and forth. <laughs> sure, sure, Mercy is giving the international signal for keep going. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, because um, because I I actually didn't think uh, Cunningham was entirely fair, and maybe that's because I gave too shallow a reading to the article. Um, but I I do think when there's a young compulsion, people are always doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> they are. They are. Those those, those millennials. Yeah. Um, but um, but you know I I do think the compulsion to classify things can be problematic. But I also think that the need, especially in times of uh, hurt and catharsis, to name an issue, which I think we, we see people doing in speech over and over again, mm-hmm. can be important. It depends. I don't know what Mercy says about this. but yeah. I'm not even sure how to tackle this, really. I think um, I don't think it was unfair. I actually I really like the piece. I thought, uh, if we're talking about words, I thought it was beautifully written um, to start off with. And he, he captured me because, you know, I think I've mentioned this to you before, Kellen, that I grew up in a, um, in a Pentecostal church with mm-hmm. gospel and, you know, the things, all of the things. And um, the song Total Praise, you know, I was I was there when he, when he started off. That I think that was his nut graph that he started mm-hmm. off with that, right? Mm-hmm. Total Praise was... Um, I'm, I'm getting this picture of this really huge and grandiose um, choir singing this beautiful song. I don't know if anyone has ever heard it, but it's a really great piece. And then I'm set into the mood of, you know, how can we bring these two, I, you know, in a lot of uh, a lot of ways, polarizing ideas and bring them into one kind of uh, fused, uh, pretty, you know, whatever that language comes to be in this middle ground. Um, and you know, uh, tying it to my thoughts on uh, the Varick protest, I think the only thing that I thought of in comparing it to this piece um, is how m- 
how we are interpreting the issue around, you know, all lives matter versus black lives matter and how um, I think that uh, oftentimes people think that they are opposing ideas, right? And that, you know, if you think that all lives matter, you'd think that black lives matter because it, that typically, you know, the way that um, the emotion behind it when it when it's ever, you know, placed in conversation is how it is placed, right? That is how it's positioned in opposition to black lives matter. Um, but I also think that... Um, I also think Black Lives Matter is is a lot of times perceived to be in opposition to All Lives Matter, which isn't the case. It's not the case at all. One can be the case for the other without the other be necessarily being the case um, the other way around. And I, I mean, I guess I don't really know. I don't really know how to take it. I think that the piece was fair. I think um, right now I don't want to be the uh, the spokesperson the spokesperson for uh, the black community, right? But I am the token black on this <laughs> panel, so I'll go ahead and do We're that. We're actually going to ask you to be the spokesperson. For, uh, <laughs> yeah. But not just the black community, 25-year-old black women. Yeah. Sure. Um, I can do that um, <laughs> as the only 25-year-old black woman in the room. <laughs> um, I think that people uh, – myself included, are sort of torn with the way the president has decided to take up these issues, um, the words that he's used when speaking at the funeral for the Charleston Nine uh, compared to the funeral, uh, the memorial services for the Dallas, was it seven? The Dallas Five, Five right? Five. And so, I mean, I think, I think those words, comparing those speeches in particular, you see so much, you know, the, the, the president was so convicted you can hear his emotion during the memorial services uh for the charleston nine and you for that one moment i think the black community or at least 25 year old black men <laughs> black females uh felt as though you know the president is standing in solidarity with us and he agrees with us right and i think that it could have easily been interpreted the opposite right f during the memorial services which I don't think that's what he intended or his speechwriters. Um, and it's it, it's so interesting to me, the meaning that people derive from any given word. But I think that sort of the, that that actually flows counter. The thing that Lucy was saying about labeling, I thought was really interesting because I think this is one of the things and I do it. We all do it. And I've been dealing with it once again for the last 24 traumatizing hours with anti uh, circumcision activists who I mean, the minute you call circumcision genital mutilation. Right. I mean, you sort of laid down a marker. Right. You've yeah. you, you've predicated the conversation on a whole bunch of things. And, and, and we do this all the time. By the way, do you know what I'm doing to get over my incredible post-traumatic stress syndrome? I hope getting off social media. But. Well, no, I'm going after this. I'm driving to Lennox to see Merchant of Venice. What, <laughs> what could I possibly do to make myself more upset? <laughs> anyway, that's a separate thing. Good but life you, choice. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There, there's a way of laying your marker down by defining the terms, by, by slapping the label on it. But I think we all do it. You get up in the morning, you see the thing about niece, and you think, what is this going to be called? Right. And what am I going to mm -hmm. call it? What word am I going to find for it? Well, and we, and we do this in journalism. And, and and I think um, I, you know, I, th I think it's problematic. And yet, at the same time, I find myself doing it in articles, partly because mm -hmm. that's that's what you do when you're on deadline, and uh, and and just partly because um, I, I mean that's like the industry as it is. But um, it it can be a problem to go forward and say this is a Black Lives Matter article. This mm -hmm. is an article about how Black and Blue right. Lives Matter. This is an All Lives Matter article, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I agree 100. percent But I'm also baffled by the way that is. Um, furthered and reinscribed by all of my otherwise sane friends on Facebook who every time something happens, they find a really reductionist poster or icon or avatar or, or quote and just put it up there. And then are like, mm. if, you don't, if you don't retweet this, you obviously don't care about um, 
Black Lives or female genital mutilation or anti-Semitism or the Cold War or whatever. It's like – and they think that's activism. And I'm just, I'm just baffled. I'm baffled by the people who think that, that, that that's real, that that means anything. And, of, and I feel like my friends who are real activists, they say this – they are the ones who say, no, no, no. What's activism is like get off Facebook, go organize. Right. Go door to door, sign right. people up, bring people out. Like, and, and also online petitions don't do anything. So, and yet we've all bought in. I mean we've all bought in. I mean I haven't. But, but a lot of my friends feel like, like crying out on Facebook is a meaningful thing. And I just think it's not meaningful. Well, when we think about things like black Twitter, right? I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard CNN reference black Twitter for just anything, right? right. Um, Blacksit was something that came from black Twitter. And I can think of a number of things right now. Um, we live in a world where you do need to categorize for what I can think of right now to be two reasons, right? Because how can you um, actively pursue something if you can't identify it? That's how we think about things. And how are you supposed to make a hashtag for it if you can't really, <laughs> you know, box it up in a catch-all phrase and an illiteration, that kind of thing, right? So, I mean... But that's kind of sad, right? It is incredibly sad, yeah. but it's also kind of... It also it, does... It, well, can we use this to transition? We only have a few more minutes left in this segment, and I know all of you want to talk about the Corey Menefee story. This is the... Uh, talk about sort of uh, activism, a very different kind of activism. Uh, Corey Menefee, most people... People probably know this story very well covered in the state by now. 38-year-old African-American dishwasher at Yale uh, who reportedly lost his cool, broke a stained glass window uh, in Yale's Calhoun Residential College dining hall. Uh, the uh, the window depicted slaves with uh, two, two uh, female slaves with enormous baskets of cotton on their Heads, I would like to point out that it's not a bale of cotton, but anyway, uh, with enormous baskets uh, of cotton uh, on their heads, uh, somebody called the cops. Uh, he's he resigned from Yale. There's sort of a little bit of murkiness about sort of how all that went down. He did get arrested. Um, the story has been playing out uh, both in court and on the press and various places over uh, over time. Um, I don't know. I, we probably have time for a kind of like a kind of around the room set of takes on this, but I know Lucy the Naval Independent's been covering this a lot, so you probably feel uh, pretty well immersed in it anyway. I do, yeah. And um, I have to give a really quick shout out to our team of summer interns. They've been covering the story and they've really been champs. Um, but but I think one thing that the news is missing a little bit is that Yale sort of mucked this up a, a little, a, a lot. Um, there was a headline yesterday in the New York Times, Yale decides to drop charges. Yeah. Well, after Yale presses charges, it's the court's decision right. to drop charges. And, and they will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or it it will. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, well, I, I think this has been mishandled. I think Salovey's letter to the Yale community really didn't address a lot of the issues at the foundation of this. And, this and I want to Yale President what, Peter Salovey. Yes, yes. Thank you. And I, I really want to, since I've sort of been uh, knee deep in this, I really want to hear what Mercy and Mark have to say. Uh, well, so... I've eaten in that dining hall many times. I never noticed the stained glass, but probably other people did. Apparently, it's been an issue at various points going back to the 80s um, at Yale when it's been – when students have raised trying to get rid of that. It's apparently a uniquely offensive uh, a piece of, of public art. Um, I think that breaking things is wrong. I also think that Yale should give him his job back. Um, I think that my primary um, feeling about all of this has been that um, – that it's been treated in such a legalistic way, which is everyone's talked about, well, who's pressing charges? Well, in mm-hmm. fact, the state presses charges. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a TV fiction right. that the victim presses charges, right? Um, so the state decided and then they decided to drop them. Okay. The really important question here is like, how do you handle a, a human being who's done something? And he says, I actually don't wish I had done it. I think this was – but uh, I think Yale could say, okay, we're not going for restitution, which they already said. Plus, why don't you come back and work here? And I think that would be a humane thing to do. I really hate the culture of firing. 
I hate the fact that in this country we're always saying, well, of course you're going to lose your job. Maybe we won't prosecute, but of course you have to lose your job. People lose jobs, they lose health care. Their family loses health care. Like, why don't, why doesn't Yale just end this by saying, let's all agree that that wasn't an ideal scenario the way it went down. Come back and work here. That's what I'd like to see happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, if I can just address, um, you've eaten that in that um is it a, is a, it's a dining hall? It's a dorm dining hall. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and haven't recognized it, haven't noticed it. I think that having that lens is a yeah. big deal, right? And if you're coming in, especially with the events that have gone on across the country for the last, what, five years, right? Since 2000, whenever, yeah. right? Um, and the history of the country. I think if you're walking into the dining hall with that lens the entire day, which is something that he actually talked about. In 2016, I shouldn't have to come. And I think this is in the article that you put together, um, Lucy, he, he says that in 2016, I, have, I shouldn't have to come into work and see that kind of stuff. Our team right? of interns, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, and, and that's sort of like a thing, right? And for me, the way that I kind of think about it is that is on the forefront of most people's or, you know, most of people I know, right, which is a bad measure. But um, most, I, I'll say people of color, most people who are sort of in tune to these race issues, that is the lens that you're seeing these things through. And so um, to kind of give give you an understanding of like what I've thought about this is it's the same sort of thing where um, people who have been tuned in all last week to the uh, racially charged, I'll say, events that happened throughout the country most of the people I know knew about both um, Ster- Alton Sterling and uh, Philando Castillo before they knew about the Dallas shooting. Mm. But there is this other set of individuals who didn't know about any of it until Dallas happened, which is sort of how I feel about um, Calhoun. And this is and sort of how I feel about um, Corey Manaphy and how, you know, you, you have this lens, you're carrying it with you all the time and you walk in. And I think most students... Um, of color kind of have the same lens. They're walking in, they're seeing this, and they you feel oppressed every single time. You feel like this is something that, for some reason, I'm being made to feel crazy because I care deeply about this, and it is another set of oppression that no one else cares about it. Um, and I can I can understand it getting to a boiling point, especially after you know a full year. I know that Colin, you've um, written an op-ed about, you know, a full year of uh, Yaley's protesting about this kind of thing over Calhoun, over the, some of the racially charged events at, at, out at Yale. I think it kind of came to a head for him. Um, and you're right. Getting fired for this kind of thing is problematic. I think for me, the the biggest uh, issue with the whole thing is that he was charged with a felony. Yeah. Right. Although, I, I, can I just say a couple of things about this? First of all, to that point that you're making, uh, when the Calhoun stuff, well, I did a piece in Salon about a year ago about the Calhoun thing. And at the time, I called my college roommate, who uh, is, so we lived together for three to four years. Uh, we're both left-handed. He's black, I'm white. And uh, I said, did we know that this college was named after John C. Calhoun? Were, were we upset about this? <laughs> And he said, you know, Colin, being black is a little bit like being left-handed. I mean, you don't notice all the hassles. Right. You know? Did you bring him on the radio? I think I heard this. Uh, no, I just quote him. In I mean, I- yeah. <laughs> but, but so the thing I do want to say about this is I, I agree, concur with pretty much everything that's been said here. Although one thing I didn't disagree, didn't agree with, a couple of people, including I think maybe Menefee himself at one point, called this civil disobedience. Well, it's not civil disobedience. Right. When you smash something, it's not civil disobedience. And, and the one thing you do have to ask yourself about this, one overlay I would want to put 
put on it is, do you want to live in a world where people smash things they don't like? Because, you know, there, uh, one guy defaced the Guernica because of Milai, you know? Well, and, so and, yeah. Do we have time? Yeah, we have time. Have to, so yeah, here's yeah. the interesting thing, right, is um, – that whether you want to call it civil disobedience or just activism or whatever, I mean, I I always I turn the lens around and say, okay, what if it's some incredibly offensive anti-Semitic image that's just up there, mm-hmm. you know, with some Jew with some incredibly stereotypical uh, you know Jewish depiction, and he's like counting money, and he's right, and I'm thinking like. The the guy who says or the woman who says whether the Jewish or not one day I'm just going to smash it and does it I give that person some props there's some respect there right, right. and and what but here's the interesting thing right if Yale had just the, the act the effect is dependent on Yale reacting to it right. and so if Yale had just cleaned it up and said well, let's not press charges it's a bad PR hassle and no one had ever known the the effect wouldn't have happened Absolutely. and so there's this drama that gets played out where he mm-hmm. smashes something I actually bet he knew what he was do- I like to think he knew what he was doing and and I think he was smart enough and I think he might have thought I think it could come out in a year that he had talked to some activists and said, what could I, how could we really get something going? Mm -hmm. And then Yale reacts exactly as you'd think, which is, you know, they report it to the police. The police then do what they have to do, which is they file charges. And then all of a sudden national episode. And I think actually like, well, that is how change moves forward. And I actually don't believe in the slippery slope that now we're all going to be smashing things. Yeah. I mean, and that's also, for me, it's kind of symbolic of this is literal uh, broken windows theory happening before us. Everybody. <laughs> I don't think that's what that phrase means. But, yeah. All right. So we have to take a break. I wish we could talk some more. I'd love to hear all of you about this. But uh, we need a break and we'll come back. Roll my river, black my river, roll on. When the last rose of summer pricks my face. Okay, first I have to thank some people. Uh, Jonathan McNichol is the producer of the show down here in our wonderful clockless New Haven studios. Uh, somebody's up on the bo- board. Is Gene up on the board? Tucker, Betsy? Do you, we don't know. Somebody's somebody up at the mothership. Nobody actually. Nobody's yeah, some, on the board. Somebody up at the mothership is doing <laughs> something Pokemon. really good for us. Greg Hill is tweeting for us at WNPR Colin. Uh, we're on Facebook at the Colin McEnroe Show. We have a webpage WNPR.org. The audio for this will go up there, so you can parse everything that uh, Mercy and Lucy and Oppie said today. Part of Bill Curry was, of course, played by uh, Pikachu. It's time to endorse some things, to recommend some things. Uh, we'll start with, well, we'll start with you, Oppie. So I just read a novel by my favorite novelist. Uh, her name is Jessica Anya Blau, B-L-A-U. Her new novel is called The Trouble with Lexi. Um, to say that it's a beach read would do it injustice, though it would do beaches great justice. It's just, uh, she writes just very wonderful um, books about women and stuff that happens to them in life. They're not they're not anything more profound than that. They're plot just, point? Go, go a little quick plot point for uh, A plot point is this one happens to be about a prep school teacher who um, who star- starts a romance with the wrong guy. All right. Name of the novel again? Uh, the Trouble with Lexi. Okay. Because I've discovered that people listen to the title of things that we recommend and then get interested in them and then realize they don't know the title uh, because they didn't listen that carefully. All right. So uh, what have you got for us, Lucy? Yeah. Um, Jamila Woods came out with an album uh, at the beginning of this week. She's a poet in Chicago. She works with the Dark Noise Collective. I've been following her since she was at Brown uh, probably six years ago. It's called Heaven, H-E-A-V-N. And uh, you can stream it on SoundCloud or if you probably want to help uh, a deserving independent artist out, you can buy it. It's really, really good. She has guest appearances from Chance the Rapper, Donnie Trumpet, and other people. Um, it's it's also a really good album for this moment in the same way that To Pimp a Butterfly was. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
Um, I will. Uh, is it my turn? Okay. I thought you had two, though. You want to? Do, do, do I have another one? Yeah, um. Uh. So around New Haven, Connecticut, New York, uh, Chief Brody's Bond Me. I I will say full disclosure. I'm working on a Bond Me episode, but um, mm. this takes uh, the traditional Vietnamese Bond Me and uh, does some new things with it. Uh, the guy who runs it, Greg Martell, is really really into pickling. Mm. Uh. So if you're into pickling, so, or so, if you find yourself in a pickle, and again, the name is Chief Brody's Bond Me, and mm. it's only a food truck it's, it's not a truck. restaurant okay and when you see you're working on an episode you mean of on the of, uh, you're not of, like having an episode of some kind no really no market. although that's uh that's definitely a possibility <laughs> that of, could just uh, mean you're hungry though of kitchen sink on wnhh okay mercy um a couple things i think brunch in new haven um elm city social yeah um, i think you turned me on to that did, was it oh my gosh because I, I, went, I went after yeah, so you're okay. a brunch person i am a brunch person yeah, um elm city social brunch is amazing uh it's on college street on college street yeah. right next to N- near the reopened anchor yes anchor near, spa now um and uh woodbridge social has bottomless mimosas on the weekend for brunch <laughs> so throwing that out there um also local new haven artist uh bryant hudson he has a facebook page and he recently um, released a song uh, sort of in response to these tragedies around the country. It's called, um, the song is All Power to the People, and it's a great, great mix. Um, Maxwell's Midsummer Night, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's the the, uh, name of the album. Great album, um, which is a uh, sequel to Midsummer's Eve, which came out almost seven years ago. Um, And finally, Casual which is um, a Hulu original series about a brother and sister uh, co-parenting and raising uh, the daughter, the sister's daughter. It's a naughty is, show. It is a naughty, is a naughty, naughty show. show. We haven't seen that yet. Can I add one? Yeah, you can. We have to, so The Anchor, the great bar on College Street reopened. It's now called Anchor Spa, using the great New England term spa, Lucy, which Lucy shaking her head originally no way. meant like luncheonette. Yeah. And they really, I think they did a nice restoration job. I wish they still had the jukebox. I argued with them about that, but... Um, for all the old time anchor fans, give give it give it a try. Give it a try. I guess Lucy won't be going with me. I actually, if, if you have a little extra babysitting money, you know, it's got it got more expensive, yeah. unquestionably. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's more, but you know what? It like it was unusually cheap back in yeah. the day. So um, I should say, I say I loathe brunch and I think it's disgusting. However, I do like uh, the MC, <laughs> City Social just for lunch on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, it's just a great place. Um, I'm going to recommend. I, first of all, I want to double down on last week's recommendation. I I was recommending Underground Airline, which is Ben Winters' new book. It's just I finished. Is just terrific. If you're into audiobooks, the, this guy William Demerit, who does the all the voices, just uh, tour de force to por- performance on the audiobook. So did great. you read it or listen? To I, it? I audible, I audibleized okay, it, it or whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. I listened to it. And I just, and I'm now listening to <laughs> the Longest Night by Andrea Williams. This is a brand new 2016 novel set uh, in uh, in the around 1960 uh, in Idaho Falls, Idaho, where the army was like running a lot of nuclear reactors just to sort of see if they could run nuclear reactors. And it turned out in one of those cases they couldn't uh, not very well uh, so so things go wrong also i'm very excited by the first episode of the the night of which was intended to be a james gandolfini vehicle he died it's a john torturo vehicle it has that great noir richard price writing being mm-hmm. done actually by richard price so i'm only one episode into it we may be doing a nose on it at some point because it's so good thank you so much uh, lucy gelman and mercy quay and uh this guy over here mark oppenheimer uh we will be back on monday with coverage of the republic National Convention, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah.